You're listening to the AR-15 Podcast on the Firearms Radio Network. Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you. If you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years, there is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We're up to 167 now. And uh, we have decided to invite some of you, our wonderful listeners, onto the show to uh, help us have a roundtable discussion about a number of topics that uh, we've kind of been floating about each other this week. And um, so just for the record, uh, guys, why don't you uh, come on and uh, introduce yourselves for the listening audience so that they can get uh, a sense of who's joining us tonight. Tim, we'll start with you. Okay. Yeah, my name is uh, Tim Crosno. I live... uh, about a little bit southeast of uh, San Antonio, and um, I've I'm a, I'm a relative newbie, about three years uh, with the ARs, but I'm also an AK AK guy as well. Um, I uh, do a lot of training down here. Probably going to start some competition here in May, uh, just steel challenge matches, and um, that's that's about it. I'm an engineer for the Air Force, and uh, that's it. Well, outstanding. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Sure, no problem. All right, Graham, why don't you give us the thumbnail elevator speech? Okay. Uh, Graham Rasmussen, uh, live in Utah, work for SX3 Guns in Payson, Utah, and focus. Uh, she's worked for a girl, actually. She's been running it for a couple of years, and her main focus is uh, custom AR builds, and I've been helping her around with that. So I work a lot with ARs <laughs> pretty much constantly. So. Well, awesome. Yeah, all right. A lot of fun. Well, thanks, Graham. Chad. Well, as you said, I'm Chad Wallace. I can say I've actually been into ARs quite a bit for ten years now. Uh, bought my first one back in like '95. So, but actually been into them for ten years. Uh, I do reviews over at the Gun and Gear Review Podcast, the Firearms Insider for the Firearms Radio Network. So. That might may have had a little bonus in getting me on here, but I'm not sure. Uh, we know. I tell you what, we uh, we noticed that the NRA put up a top seven list of podcasts, and the Firearm Radio Network got on it. What I thought was funny was they singled out one of the shows that's a part of our network to be listed higher than the network, and everybody was complaining about another show that wasn't listed. That's in the network, and then a bunch of people complained about a third show that we kicked off the network. So, <laughs> really, we're 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 collecting quite a, a number of podcasts there that uh, we're getting absolutely no recognition for. <laughs> well, uh, JD, why don't you tell us about our NRA uh, news so that we can uh, clue the listeners in before we get too far into this in-depth conversation. All right. The network will be having a uh, NRA show listener meetup. It will be taking place May 21st at 7 p.m. at the Cardinal Hall of Fame Cafe. Uh, That's the listener meetup at the NRA show in Louisville. Uh, May 21st at 7 p.m. at the Cardinal Hall of Fame. Jake will buy you a drink if you can say a magical, mythical, mysterious word. And Reed will help you pronounce that word. It's ambidextrous. Well, that's the way Jake says it. You know, I was actually in a, uh, I was in a gun store today, and the guy behind the counter was talking about ambidextrous. And it's like, really? 
It's ambidextrous. So there's no E before the O-U-S, but, you know, I did not say that aloud. I'm sure they would have kicked me out for <laughs> calling them on a carpet. Well, all right, guys. So, uh, you know, we've been kind of trying to touch base uh, since I've been completely swamped with things not firearms-related this last three months. But uh, tell us, what are you guys uh, doing in the firearms world these uh, last week? Um, Tim, why don't we start with you? Anything fun and exciting? Well, actually, yeah. I, um, once uh, and we're going to talk about this later, but once Rule Forty One P came out, I decided it was time to uh, buckle down and go ahead and go for the NFA items. So um, I've been uh, submitting paperwork, and I actually got my first one back uh, last week for a short barrel lower. Still got a lower I'm waiting on, and two suppressors. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's kind of the most recent thing, and then uh, about to take an M4 uh, rifle fighting. Um, class with Gabe Suarez, actually John Payne from uh, Houston area is going to be teaching that down here, so uh, looking forward to that in May, so that's what i got coming up. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, um, uh, Graham, you know, it's kind of hard to ask the guy in the firearms industry what thing he's done <laughs> this last week, because it's like everything, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Pretty constant. Well, uh, is there anything that you can single out that, uh, that would, uh, would be a high point this week? Uh, this week, maybe not. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I took my family out, though, and I put my wife behind my rifle, my AR, and set up some beer cans about 400 yards, and she was knocking them down. I, and she doesn't shoot very often, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, that was a lot of fun. That is cool. Yeah, it yeah, was my, really cool. my wife tends to try to outshoot me. That's why I don't let her shoot as much as I do. There you go. Yeah, you don't take them with you every time. It'll get better, right? <laughs> well, Chad, how about you? What have you been doing this last week that's uh, worth mentioning? Uh, I actually got to the range. The weather was super nice here, which was really nice. Uh, took out, got a few scopes in from Lucid Optics to do reviews on. So I got those mounted, and I took them out, sighted them in. Uh, one of them, a Ford uh, 16 that I put on a Savage 243, and I got some. I got a .737 inch five shot group out of that. So at 100 yards, I was pretty happy with that. And then the other one, which is more related to this show, is they make a one to six power, uh, you know, AR style scope. It's got a blue illuminated reticle in it, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's got a throw lever if you want it on there, so kind of good for three gun. And so that's about all I did with that. Well, that's pretty damn cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know how it is. No, they don't send us a whole lot of stuff to review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I end up having to buy most of the stuff I review. Well, if it makes you feel any better, you know, these are just loners, so I have to send them back or buy them, so you know, who knows what I'll do there. <laughs> okay. Well, JD, what have you got going on? Um, I got to take a couple friends, or a friend and his son, out shooting. It had been his son's first time out shooting. Um, so it was fun to clean out the safe and lay everything out on the table and let him pick and choose. And um, Also ran into... You know, one of those things where you know you have to talk to law enforcement um, out at our shooting site that's way out there, pretty rough to get to the road, was a, a newer U-Haul 
with a bunch of stuff out of the back of it. So I uh, got to have a couple interactions with Las Vegas' finest as they uh, figured out what that was all about. So it's it's always something going out and shooting in the desert, you know, whether it's cars with holes in them, U-Hauls that are half empty, or dead bodies. I mean, that's the life of living in the West, I guess. <laughs> Isn't that kind of part and parcel to Las Vegas? Don't they have a long history of that kind of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Reed? I know you've been buried under tax stuff. You barely respond to text messages or email. We had to do a well check on you last week. Uh, what have you been up to? Well, we uh, we finished our tax season on the 18th, and I uh, promptly turned to uh, getting a 308 set up, uh, kind of tuned on mounting a new scope on it. And Well, I'm mounting a scope. I don't have one. Uh, I haven't had one on it. And then uh, I'm going to put a trigger in. Um, I don't want to make us sound like we are the you know, redheaded stepchildren of the network. Every once in a while, someone thinks that we're a good venue for a review. But a uh, company uh, sent me a trigger uh, that I'm really excited to try out. And uh, I think we're going to uh, talk about it on the show pretty soon here. But uh, I'm going to fit that into my 308 with my new scope and see if I can't take it out to range and get some good performance on it. So I'm kind of excited. I get to get back to the range. <laughs> nice. I think I think they're going to be on, um, do you want to say which company it was? Uh, I, I want it to be a surprise. Okay. Uh, they'll be on in the coming weeks. We already set up an uh, interview to take place. So um, interesting stuff going on. We've got a lot of cool interviews coming up. Some uh, continuing the uh, trend of the year, some good news coming your way. Speaking of good news, um, we're over a quarter of the way done with the uh, time for the giveaway of the new Frontier Armory 9mm carbine rifle giveaway. Um, David from New Frontier Armory was on show 166 and talked all about um, what's going to go into it. RTT is doing uh, a custom Cerakote job. Um, I talked to him the other day. He's like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to look for inspiration and find something to do really cool. So uh, we're thanking RTT and um, also New Frontier Armory. Uh, once again, they're in uh, episode 166 um, that you can check out on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, you can sign up by going to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com backslash AR15podcast. Uh, you can sign up. There's a link right there. Also, check out the show notes of uh, any of the recent podcasts. And also, you can go to firearmsradio.tv, uh, and we have a link there on the AR15podcast uh, part of the page. And uh, let me see. Just about 550 people signing up, so some pretty good odds to get your hands on one of those uh, 9-millimeter carbines. That's outstanding. How many of them are going to be disqualified because they threw in a name that uh, isn't going to match what their driver's license said? Uh, like this one is going to be because it has the you know colorful language as the middle name. Um, this Chad Wallace guy is going to be disqualified too. Um, I see a couple of other familiar names from the podcast tonight listed in here, but uh, mostly everybody's following the rules and taking it seriously because we are transferring a firearm. We are going to transfer it to the name that you submit. So please use your legal name. So we're not causing a problem and, uh, you know, causing any headaches for new frontier armory as they're going to be the ones transferring this out. Glad you know, I'm, I'll go, I'm doing pretty good then because I don't remember signing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was just thinking that we're probably in a little more comfortable zone this year because, um, when I had to, 
transfer the firearm. I'm, I'm, don't see myself as a man that could withstand, you know, hard time in a prison all that well, but I think JD, I think you might be able to turn a, a dime stretch in a federal penitentiary into an easy piece of time. Just get in there and scare the hell out of them. My wife will find a way to send five kids with me to prison. <laughs> that will scare everybody. <laughs> well, why don't we uh, move into our main topic and okay. uh, let's uh, let's get started with the first question here. So, uh, this is all from you guys uh, getting together, just kind of throwing some uh, ideas around. But um, so, why has the AR market exploded in recent years, and will it go away anytime soon? So, uh, guys, uh, I'm going to step back for just a minute. I know I have an opinion, but uh, tell me what you guys think. Uh, why has the market exploded? Well, I'll, I'll start in here. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons the market's exploded. One, I always think that markets explode when people fear them get, things getting banned. So they want to have something before they can actually, you know, before they can't get it. That always helps. There seems to be an influx of new shooters, which, you know, is good. And as in what we'll follow up with later is the market, it's an AR, so it's really good with being good for new shooters because there's very little recoil. So I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I hope not. I hope it doesn't go away where everybody buys everything and I can't buy what I want. That always happens to me, and then I have to wait two years to find parts. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you, and, and I also I also am going to take it a step further. For those of you brought in a lot of new people, but who you brought in was a lot of people that like to tinker. They like their guns to be modular, um, and I think that's that's what's exploding not only the AR market but the accessory market. So it, it's just been a, a kind of a cascading effect, starting with the the administration that has rolled in, combined with you know a shortage, combined with those people telling other people that you need to get on you need to get on board, and a certain section of those people being tinkers, like a lot of us are, especially the engineers and the and the, and the shop guys and everything like that. And you know, like you said, he's the best salesman that ever was as far as the AR system. But on the other side of it. Uh, I think that the manufacturers have really ramped up. I think that they've they've uh, kept up with uh, supply and demand. Uh, the only thing I hope for their sake is that there's not a dearth because uh, maybe the conservative side is elected into the into the office of presidency. That would be a very sad day. Graham, what do you what do you think? Um, you have a I have a relationship with you as you're my dealer, and I say that right. in the most positive <laughs> way that I can. Um, I'll take it. When I'm looking for something hard to find, you as working um, on the retail side, seeing what it's like, what what do you think has caused this boom, and where do you see it going? Uh, I kind of mimic what the other guy said. It's uh, Most of our business is ARs, and 80% of our AR business is new shooters or new to the AR at least. Um, and that kind of ramped up right after the Sandy Hook tragedy and has, and manufacturing kind of wrapped up, ramped up at the same time. A lot of new businesses or a lot of new products from old trusted businesses. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest part of the market is, is our new shooters. And then, 
you know, guys like me that now there's so many new parts out that I sold all my old guns and I'm building all new guns because I can build them better now than I could 10 years ago. Um, just because of the way the market's gone, it's made it a lot easier to build a nicer rifle. So. When you when you talk about the uh, the new shooters, what kind of percent or just reaching out there, would you say those new shooters are ladies that are out there getting into the market? Uh, a really, really big percent of them. Um, most of the people I talk to uh, don't, like, they're within a year or two years. So everybody, oh, I've, I've been shooting for two years. Like, well, that's perfect. That's right when you saw that influx, right when everybody got into it. Um, and then those people start coming back more and more. I, I would say at least 60, 70% of the business is new. Wow. Yeah. And you probably, know, go ahead. Well, no, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, I was just saying, like, I, uh, roughly 20% of our AR build business is uh, shooters that have never even shot an AR before. Their buddies have bought them, or their dad's got one. He decided to build a, bu- a couple, and they said, oh, that's cool. I've never shot one, but I want one, and so they, they go for it. Never never had their hands on one, and they come and build a new one. So. See, I think that... Uh that it's a very interesting time. And, and I think that all of you guys, you know, you know, have valid points. I, I think though that from, from my perspective, I think that what we have here is a trend that has gone before and it's repeating itself again. I think what we have is this whole generation of young men and women that were, you know, fighting a war in the desert who came back, they integrated back into their civilian lives. And, you know, if there were anything like me when I got out of the Corps, and, yeah, it wasn't a, a wartime environment, but still I stayed away from firearms for a while because that's, you know, kind of the, the complete immersion of the life you're in. And so I, I had a span of time where I just, I was like, I need to just not be around these. Um, I need to integrate first. But then... I had that comfort level back, and then I wanted to get right back in it. And I think that maybe that's what we're seeing. We have these guys that, you know, started off in, you know, 2001 to 2004 that, you know, uh, 10 years later they've, you know, uh, within that span they've done that integration, and then all those successive um, groups of guys that are going in and coming out and getting settled back down, I think that they've just kind of been the groundswell behind this huge push that I think uh, uh, culminated uh, in probably 2010 and kind of this movement towards the explosive growth we saw. And then we had a couple of big political issues that got a lot of the other people that were part of that to just get off the sidelines and jump in with both feet. And so it became a tidal wave very quickly, and I don't know that the industry was really prepared for that huge kind of sea change in numbers, but I don't think that it was not expected that it was going to just stay static. And and then, you know, I, I think to the point of the, the, the modularity of the system, it's always been there in terms of potential. I mean, the rifle was, you know, utilized back in the 60s, you know, there is no doubt an enterprising young engineer, a young entrepreneur could have invented any of the products that we see today back then. 
but there wasn't a drive. There wasn't a demand. There wasn't anything in the industry causing that. And I think you've got this kind of multitude of different things that have come together to create this space where people are like, well, you know, we can do this and make some more profit for what we're putting into the system. We can create more buzz. We can create more drivers into the consumer side of this and we can really approach this you know instead of a, a niche hobby where it used to be the guys that were doing cross uh, course you know competitions that were buying the rifles to guys that just want to buy one and have it in their closet like we used to buy 1022s to have in our closet and so i mean i think all these things have just kind of come together and we've created this whole groundswell and it's going to be like it was back in the post world war 2 days when you know, guys would go out and they sporterize, you know, their, you know, M1s or they, you know, bring home Mausers and, you know, you have this huge kind of rush of, of firearms enthusiasm. You know, when we interviewed Pete Brownell, it was kind of that age that, that took the, the Brownell's company from this kind of gun shop specific, you know, gunsmith specific oriented catalog into a much broader base that was driven by the huge gun craze that happened, you know, for another two decades. I think that that's going to be what drives this forward as well. It's going to last for a couple more decades. I was going to say that another thing that they didn't have back in the 60s was ease of manufacturing for all these accessories. I mean, nowadays, you go to your computer, you kind of set up whatever you want to build and you plug it into your CNC and away it goes. I mean, back in the 60s, I mean, you had to have some guy turning this out. So a part that cost 200 bucks today probably would have cost a thousand bucks back then in those dollars back then. I don't know. Labor was a little (laughs) bit cheaper back then. (laughs) And I will tell you that a CNC machine is a hundred thousand dollar machine. Yeah, but they're prevalent nowadays. Well, there is that. Yeah, Reed, I, I wanted to piggyback on the, the one point you made about those coming back from the war. Um, that probably was my genesis. Um, I, Although I was an Air Force guy, officer, you know, we all went over with M4s and M9s. And uh, I'd really never had any exposure to that, even though I'd hunted it since a kid. Uh, but once I got exposure to those weapons and, and uh, came back, it was... Not a long time after that, where I started thinking real hard. You know, this is this is the kind of rifle I really would like to have. It's it's uh, you know, it seems to fit every bill that I can that I can ask from it. So that's a good point. So I think all is well in the industry, and it uh, should be one that we can count on to uh, keep refreshing itself for quite some time. I sure hope so. <laughs> keep me in the job for a while, playing with fun guns. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Topic uh, number two is um, probably my favorite. Um, matched uppers. Oh, it just says it says uppers, not just lowers. Uh, matched uppers, lowers, combos, pros, or any cons. What do you guys think, uh, Chad? We'll go ahead and start off with you. Oh, you'll start off with me because I sent the question. In. <laughs> 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 no, I wanted answers. Uh, you know. I really don't know much about the the upper lower combo. You know, you can buy matched upper lowers. You know, my guess is is you know they're tighter fit. You know, that's a plus. Uh, but you know, knowing a little about some things, 
you know, not about much, but they, you know, knowing how an AR works, pretty much the upper is what does it all. I mean, you could take the upper and mount it in a vise and put some super sloppy lower in it, and it's probably going to shoot the same as if you put a matched lower on it. So, you know, I was kind of curious as to, do you really get more accuracy out of the matched upper lowers? You know, typically they cost a little more. I mean, unless you're shooting to that level, do you really ever need one? You know, I'll I'll take that up. (laughs) I I wanted to jump in with this one just because I had a couple of opinions. You know... (laughs) Here's my thought. You know, I am I am a completionist by whatever obsessive compulsive disease I suffer from. You know, I'm the guy that if I like a shirt, I'll buy the other colors on the rack because I don't want to wear that one out and then not have it. So, you know, I'll I'll buy you know all three varieties of a thing because you know I might want the large and I might want the medium and the small at some point in time. And so when I look at the upper-lower combo, to me, it's more about the idea that it's the upper that was designed for the lower and vice versa. You know, I have a couple of Franken guns, and they are great, but, you know, there's some fit and finish differences because one guy's lower contour is not the other guy's upper contour. Reed, Reed they call that anal retentive. Well, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... To me, the idea that you're getting a set that was designed together, that has the look and feel, I think it's a nice aesthetic. Do you need it? I don't think you need it. Uh, Is it desirable? Well, if you're anal retentive like me, then yeah, it's very desirable. Um, I do think that you're going to get oftentimes a better price point because it seems more often than not, if you buy both at the same time, they're going to shave some points off of it, and you're going to get a better deal from that manufacturer. But, you know, Chad, like you said, a lot of times the match sets are more expensive because they're manufactured in more complex terms. It's not the, you know, 1,000 lowers, you know, an hour, 1,000 uppers an hour kind of deal. Someone's putting some time and effort into it. Um, you know, I don't know that there is any real accuracy advantage you know i've i've got a couple of really obscure hard to find books about building competitive rifles and back when they were written dpms was the way to go and i would guarantee you that you probably can't find a dps lower and a dps upper that are matched to that degree however an entire you know competition uh, industry you know held them out as the gold standard so they didn't seem to care, and I'm guessing you're talking about the likes of Tubbs and, you know, Wild and Alexander. Those guys are out there just doing amazing things, and it's not because somebody, you know, milled from a single piece of aluminum uh, an upper-lower receiver combo that fit the bill for them. So I guess that's my opinion. <laughs> I, I will say that if you get some of the matched upper-lower you know, billet ones, they do look pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I can say that. So I give them pluses there. I definitely take it to a barbecue. (laughs) 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 
I think uh, I think I'm on the same whoa. I think I'm on the same page as Reed. Uh, accuracy benefits. I haven't seen a whole lot as far as that goes, uh, but they sure look good. And anymore, my old rifles were all just they shoot. They were shooters, but that's it. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of a snob. I like them to look good and shoot good. And the match sets. There's something to be said. The the lines follow through. They're they're uh, they're really nice. But I've got a match set sitting sitting here that. On the takedown pins, it's really tight. There's no wiggle between the upper and the lower whatsoever. Um, but there's a space. I could probably fit two or three playing cards between the upper and the lower receiver. Um, and then I've got a franking gun that's got a Seekins Precision lower and a Gibbs Arms upper. And I couldn't fit a piece of paper in there. And I could open the gun, close it, and rip the paper trying to pull it out. Um, so I, it's kind of luck of the draw, too. Um, but... Yeah, I don't think you gain anything accuracy wise, but they typically with the uh with all those match sets you're you're uh you're built you're getting more features, you know, you're getting some some of the ambidextrous feet ambidextrous or whatever. No, <laughs> no, no, you said it right the first time. <laughs> I didn't yeah. get in on that bandwagon, try and make somebody <laughs> mad. Uh yeah, like I love that Seekins lower. I love it. It's got the ambidextrous bolt release. Um and I don't even I get fumbled up now because I've had it long enough that I I'm used to it. Just I'm mag release at the at the bottom and bolt release at the top of my trigger finger. So I don't know. I guess I'm spoiled that way, and it, I'm put at a little bit of a disadvantage when I go back to the uh, old way or the not as good looking way. <laughs> Reed, do you realize how many uppers I have to buy now because of my lower problem? Oh yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the next question, or number three is uh, the NFA trust changes rule 41F, which takes place in July 13th, 2016. I believe we uh, we are less than 90 days, probably 80 something away. Um, the rule changes that are going to take place, how it's going to affect um, NFA trusts. Um, Tim, I'm going to throw this one to you since uh, you were mentioned at the top that. Uh, you just jumped into the suppressor and SBR game over there. Yeah, yeah. The and the reason I bring this up is because I was kind of caught in, in the in the in the fray of that because it, it all of a sudden appeared on a you know maybe on an NSZ or, or some one of the one of the uh, Facebook feeds that this was coming up and I I dug into it a little bit and I said, oh, this is really going to change the trust the, the 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 advantage of the trust side. Um, you know, in a nutshell, the trust after July 16th, I believe, is essentially a tool for inheritance only, um, because you really don't get an advantage anymore um, from not having to not having to constantly submit your information. You submit it once now, uh, no fingerprints, no pictures, um, and and you're good to go. Uh, if you do it, you know, well, I did electronically, so you, you submit that, and you're, and you're pretty good to go. Um, but once those changes come out, uh, about if whoever's on your trust, about every two years, the, the clock resets, and if you buy anything else, you got to send in all those fingerprints and, and pictures. If you only got a couple people, it's not too bad. But if you're talking about a family of, you know, maybe across, uh, not immediate family, but uh, extended family, um, that's that's quite a, a laborious task. Did everybody go down to the you know get all that stuff done to get it sent in and just to just to add something else to to your trust when they've already run your background check? 
Um, but individual gets a lot easier. I mean, so they're kind of, I think they're kind of pushing people that way so that everyone, you know, as, uh, and, the, and the trust the way they are now, the people that you put on the trust are not checked. Just you, just the, just the trustee. People you add to it are not checked. And that's going to that's gonna stop. Um, but the individual advantage is that you, you will no longer have to, uh, you will no longer have to get approval from your law enforcement officer. Still got to provide the fingerprints and the pictures, but you don't have to go get that uh, sometimes off difficult to get um, law enforcement signature. So I've been encouraging people right now, and, and unfortunately, from what I've heard, and I haven't checked because I haven't submitted one lately, but the e-form site, they're not taking any um, any submissions on the e-form site. So you're stuck to doing a paper submission. But I still, you know, I'm, I'm strongly recommending anybody's thinking about getting a, a, into an NFA item, do it between now and July. I'm not sure when they're actually going to cut that off. Uh, if it's actually going to be July 16th, I know our we have a manufacturer here probably can tell us that, but um, I would strongly encourage you to get that trust in place now, get your NFA uh, items ordered, and then you can deal with the changes afterwards because afterwards you start abiding by the new rules. So if you buy something after July 16th, um, you're going to end up having to submit all your, your fingerprints and your pictures for everybody that's on that existing trust. So um, that's really kind of what I wanted, wanted to bring up now, and uh, I'd like to hear everybody's thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I think... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just sorry. I was just saying. Uh, I believe that it just has to be postmarked, right, before the 16th. So as long as it's in the mail before the 16th, you're okay. good to go. You probably couldn't buy one on the 16th and get it in under the under the current laws. Um, and it, for me, it just kind of feels like they took the current individual rule and made it a rule for the trust, but it makes the trust a little more difficult now. And I think the, as far as law enforcement is concerned, I think, I believe, at least in Utah, we're going to have a duty to inform chief law enforcement, yeah, but they're, not they're get approval. Inform everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Right. Okay, okay, perfect. So, Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, I don't live in one of the problematic counties or anything. I can just pretty much, here you just walk down if you're an individual if you have everything in order, your fingerprints, your picture, you drop it off at the sheriff's office, they call you in a day or two and tell you to come pick it up. But, you know, now I don't even have to do that if I file an individual form. Then I just kind of file it and get fingerprints done, which you don't have. My understanding is you don't have to have law enforcement do your fingerprints. Uh you just have to have somebody do them. Uh, you can order the fingerprint cards from the ATF free of charge. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's your first one, if the fingerprint cards would matter, but I've done a couple. I just did them myself, and in the box it said, who did these? I wrote my name. Uh, <laughs> and it worked, but I guess maybe they're just <laughs> matching them up with other ones. You know, I'm not going to say do that, but... I was told it was legal, and I said, "Fine." If they send, it, if if they deny it, I'll go downtown and pay the. Well, I think it's twenty bucks here, but and have them done. But they never did, so I don't know. But you know, I kind of feel bad for all these people that did the trust just so they could get ease of access to them, because now you know it's going to be a pain in their rear to go down and get fingerprinted which they didn't want to do in the first place or they it's just a hassle really. And, but 
the good thing is, is now if you want to do an individual form, you're good anywhere it's legal. You just write a letter to your law enforcement officer saying, I'm doing this, and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, one of the things that really kind of leaps out, I, I don't want to be the one that gets burned at the stake for this, but it's the unfortunate you know, advantage of having the background I do. The trustee of a trust, the officers of a corporation sit in the exact same position that the individual owner of any one of these items is. The fact that the trustee and the officers of a corporation were never required to go through the same background check steps that an individual was, I thought was remarkably silly. Uh, in terms of someone deciding, hey, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to ignore these other two categories of people that shouldn't be, you know, for whatever strange reason. Um, you know, if you're a trustee of a trust and you walk into a bank, uh, well, guess what? They want your social. They want your driver's license. They want to know who you are. You don't get to walk in there and just be anonymous. And so I thought it was hysterical that the IRS has stricter rules about what a trustee is, but the ATF is going to let you guys slide. So, I mean, I think this is kind of an alignment of something that really was always there, but nobody really took the time to fix it. And then on the whole point of, you know, using a trust or a corporation, I think the biggest driver was always – well, my chief law enforcement officer isn't going to sign this, so I don't get one of these unless I can find an end run. And on that front, I mean, that's the best of all possible worlds. Hey, I can do the end run. I don't have to go to him, and now I'm done. Well, all of the changes with regard to notifying your chief law enforcement officer really kind of aligns the whole uh, ATF, you know, NFA system with what the law reads. The law never read that the chief law enforcement officer had to sign off on your right or ability or authorization to get one. He was just supposed to say, yeah, uh, JD is JD. He's not some guy claiming to be JD because he has a record, you know, a mile long. He's really, J that's all that that law enforcement officer was required to do. Well, in this day and age, they don't need that. So what law enforcement officers have been doing who have been standing in the way of these kinds of transactions is basically been playing a political game. Well, I don't want to be responsible if some guy goes out and uses a silencer to kill his wife. Well, horse hockey, you know, it's just gamesmanship and politics. And that's really not where it needs to be because it's not what the law tells these jack wagons to do. So I think that's a positive step, you know. The the best way to pass a firearm that's an NFA item is, you know, via a, you know, testamentary transfer after you die because this isn't a $5 transfer. And, you know, guess what? A corporation doesn't die. It doesn't get a $5 exemption because it, someone decides they're going to wind it down. You know, trusts kind of straddle both sides because they get some definite advantages in that regard, but Really, I think all we're going to do is realign the entire system back to what most people really wanted to do anyways, which was not have to call me to put a piece of paper in place so they can do something they just wanted to do in their own name anyway. And so I think we're going back to what people really wanted to be able to do at the, at the beginning. Just a reminder, questions, comments, hate mail for Reed. 
ar15.podcast at gmail.com. That's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. I, I kind of have to say that I agree. I agree with Reed, but the idea of me getting a trust and then giving somebody my how did how did uh, President Obama say it? You're the uh, the the extremely dangerous suppressor. I'm not going to give that to a felon because my name's on that, and most police officers don't even know you can own them. So I know a few people that have them, and they've been stopped, and they said, "Well, what is that? Well, it's a suppressor. Oh, you can't have that. Well, yes, I can, and here's the paperwork saying that I can, and." I don't know. So yeah, it it doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. I agree, Reed, that it's a it's a good idea to have everybody accountable for it and everybody checked. Um, for me, the biggest benefit for having a trust isn't is is, is the ability to share uh, ownership because the way the law is written, if I have a suppressor and it's at home in my safe and my wife knows the combination to that safe and that suppressors in my name but I go to work and she's at home well now that is in her possession and technically that makes her a felon I die same thing she's a felon and if I have something in my safe she doesn't know about or whatever and if I pass away uh, all of a sudden she's a major felon because she doesn't even know I have it she can't turn it into the the authorities or get the paperwork done to transfer it into her name so I think it's a safety thing as, as much as anything personally um, and I think I'm going to get some training on the trust with a lawyer from work uh, here pretty soon. So if there's anything major with that, I'll uh, let JD know if there's any <laughs> revolutionary things that he has to say to say about the new changes and stuff as far as trusts go. All right. Um, so let's uh, kind of segue into a more technical uh, aspect of uh, what we've uh, got going on here and. Guys, why don't you tell me what your thoughts are on the purpose-built AR, um, and uh, do you guys have any, and, and, and why do you have some? I think we already probably all answered that. Uh, why not have a purpose-built AR? I mean, shouldn't you have more than one? I mean, that's... Uh, but yeah, pretty much having done this for a while, you go through stages, maybe you want to build an SPR clone. Okay, so you build that. Then you get tired of that and you want to build something else. So you file your paperwork and build an SBR. I mean, they all have purposes. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I can say is having an SBR, the best thing about it is you stick a suppressor on it and it's the same length as, mine happens to be the same length as, say, a 16-inch gun with the suppressor on it. Well, now, if you're lugging it around the desert, like some people who live in the desert, uh, you don't have a suppressor drag it on the ground when you're trying to carry the thing. Uh, <laughs> so, I think it's fine. Do it if you want. You know, there's always always a good reason to make a purpose-built AR. So, anybody else have any opinions? Yeah, I, I do. I've got... Uh, Two, well, one uh, SBR waiting on on that, obviously, to get out of jail right now. So it, I think I've got a 16-inch barrel coming, so I can start shooting it. But uh, until the money clears, or the yeah, the tax stamp money clears. Um, but my other rifle, I, I I wanted to build a gun that I could shoot and do the thousand-yard uh, milk jug challenge with an AR uh, consistently. So I went through and spent a bunch of time and and did a bunch of research and found out what I needed and 
right now. I mean, it's got a pretty pretty accurate rifle, and I love it. There's nothing better for me when I pull that trigger, and everything's so smooth, and it's uh, it just meshes so well, and it shoots, you know, lights out. It's awesome. You almost sound like you were going to start tuing to your rifle. I was going to bring it with me while I did this just to have it on my lap so I could, you know, get, it put me in the mood. I needed to I almost cleaned it before, you know. I don't have time anymore. I don't you have did time lap shoot. dances for your rifle? Uh, yeah, they might not be voluntary, but I do. <laughs> I, I sleep... I sleep with a box of gun parts on my bed every night. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, I've I've built uh, I built a one. Um, I, I'm a I'm a part-time instructor for Appleseed, so I built one for for Appleseed with a with a little bit heavier barrel, um, you know, specific optic for it. Um, uh, the other one that I have is is going to be uh, discussed in the next section, but. Um, yeah, I've I've also got one for hunting that I've specifically set up for hunting. Uh, the two two three actually we can hunt with that here in Texas, so I've set that up for hunting. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're very useful and and if, shoot, you can switch it around in in, in an hour or, or less if you if you need a new a new type of build. So it's kind of cool. I think uh, my uh, quickest build is under twenty three minutes. From packaged um, clamshell boxes of parts to finished um, uh, bench-checked rifle. So, yeah. Do you need a job read? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I do, but my salary requirements might be a little higher. I understand that. (laughs) We'll work for ammo, right? Range time? Yeah, I will. I will. I will will have a second job for ammo and range time. (laughs) I do. (laughs) It's perfect. <laughs> you know, I have uh, at various times built... Um, I, I don't think I've built a rifle just for the sake of putting parts together. I think every single one I built with an express purpose. And, you know, I guess it's, uh, as uh, Tim pointed out, the anal retentive part of me that uh, won't let me go to the bench without a reason. Um, so I, I don't know that I've ever been at a place where there isn't a purpose-built rifle for what I'm doing. And, you know, ultimately, uh, there's enough choices that you should not have to have uh, any rifle that is close to the same as any other in your gun safe at this point. So I like diversity. So um, now the next one, uh, I, I think, Tim, you uh, alluded to this, and so the question is, is a suppressed Short-barreled AR chambered in 300 blackout, emerging as the best all-around AR for hunting and home defense. Well, I'm I'm gonna say yes, obviously. That's <laughs> why I asked the question or posed the question. But um, the the 300 blackout when it first came out it was really tough. It's still a little difficult to get ammo. But other than that, if if you look at how the how the the round was designed and what the designers had had in mind for the for the gun um, you know it was designed around pretty much a nine inch barrel as far as burning up all the power powder by the time it hit that nine inch uh, that nine inch length and uh, at that length or actually you probably a little longer you got 16 and, and you got equal you got pretty much equal ballistics with the uh, AK47 which is quite a potent uh, firearm 
Uh, the only difference is AKs, you can't get hardly any kind of ammo for it other than the, the steel case stuff. So when you look at that and you look at that, it's got the also pretty much uh, same ballistics as a 30-30 rifle. You're looking at a really good 100 to 200 yard deer gun, really good one. Um, and once you suppress that thing, um, you know, you've removed the hearing protection requirement out in the field, which is a big pain in the rear end. And your, your, your speed is great. Uh, your range is great, and you're not going to shoot. You know, you're, if you're not out in the Rocky Mountains, uh, if you're if you're shooting wooded and, and and things like that, it's it's fantastic. But you know, I've seen Travis Haley throw that thing out there, what darn near a thousand yards. Unrealistic because you know the drop is so great. But then on the flip side of that, back in the home defense, you know, I started thinking seriously about what I what I needed to do for a home defense rifle. And the thing that kept coming to my mind is if I if I pull the trigger on this rifle, I may never hear again. Uh, and that was an eye opener, and really was another impetus for me purchasing a silencer. But if you, you know, I started looking into the fact that does does 300 blackout? Many of the manufacturers have subsonic defense ammo. The answer is yes, but not many. But I'm assuming they're going to be more because once you suppress that that heavier weight bullet, the 190 to 220 grain bullet, uh, you're basically getting the, the you're getting a, a 45 caliber pistol um, as far as velocity, um, maybe not weight of the bullet, but you're you're getting that heavy bullet, and if you can get that same expansion, which, which uh, I know Lehigh and Daniel Defense have both uh, put out some ammunition for home defense for suppressed rifles, You've pretty much created an all-around hunting home defense weapon. Now you're not going to go three gunning with it. You can, but uh, it, it's not de- the way I'm. I'm the way I'm looking at design in mind is it's going to be set up for you know the the hunting home defense, which is probably just going to be a, a red dot optic, maybe magnified, maybe two power or something like that. But that's still going to give me plenty of range uh, for hunting. So. I don't know that there's really another caliber out there that can that can do that um, effectively. Um, is to you know, be able to hunt with it, uh, make it a short-barreled rifle where you can carry it around pretty easily, uh, and also protect your hearing and still get the same uh, velocity and and uh, and hit power as, as an AK-47. So when you add all those things up, I I, I think that you're hard pressed to find another rifle that can do all those things and do them as well. I I see Tim's point. I uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I just got it out of uh, SBR jail back earlier this year, right after SHOT Show, built it, um, and, and I enjoy it. And the plan is uh, waiting for a Form 3 to come through to, to get the Saker to my dealer so I can put a suppressor on it. So uh, that seems to be taking forever, but... You know, usually does when you're waiting on things like that. But uh, it's going to be when I'm not going to totally destroy my hearing or my kid's hearing. Um, that'll be when it's suppressed, my home defense rifle. Um, we have coyotes that we can hunt. So uh, Tim bringing that out, bringing that up, kind of brought up an interesting thing to uh, go blow up some coyotes. Um, in fact, just a short trip to Utah, um, you can actually get paid for the pelts um, if you take care of them in certain areas. So uh, I'm totally on the Kool-Aid of the 300 Blackout being a, a home defense gun, a home defense rifle for me. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a step farther with, depending on the state you live in, uh, now, like he said, you can hunt in 
with the 223, and I think he said he's in Texas, if I remember right. Uh, I'm in Oregon, and you can hunt deer with a 223, but like elk, certain larger game, minimum calibers, 24 is what they listed at. But here, I live on the western side, and you're lucky to get a 200-yard shot at anything. So you can take it, and being that we're here, you can hunt with a suppressed SBR 300 blackout. You'll make the caliber, you know, specifications so you can hunt something large. You're still going to get the energy you need at, you know, the close range that we hunt here. Now, if you go over to Eastern Oregon, you might get a longer shot where a 300 blackout may not work as well. But, you know, over where I live, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to make a great hunting cartridge. And yeah, of course, you can shoot coyotes all day long with it if you want. <laughs> so, so I'll throw that one in. Or you could shoot beavers. I mean, no, it's illegal. <laughs> now, of course, you can shoot ducks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh wait, you got to use steel shot or something for that. <laughs> <laughs> there may there may be a little um. Home state rivalry. I'm original. I grew up in Oregon, so I'm a Ducks fan. Chad's a, a whatever this little stepchild we have it's, in the it's, state it's, is. So. It, it's, it's like a weird, but you can shoot Nutria all day long, and that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graham, you got any opinions? Uh, yeah. Well, um, just what Chad said. I've got a friend that just barely put in the paperwork for his 300 blackout build and. He he built it straight for that for deer hunting. Uh, he said nothing. I get. I live in Utah. I can shoot as long as I want anywhere. You know, within half hour of my house. But he said I've never had a shot over 200 yards. And so he bought that and a 357 Sig Glock. So he said if I see one on the side of the road, well, I'll try with my pistol. <laughs> he built himself a little hunting setup, but the but it focused around that 300 blackout. I think it's a I think it's a great round. Uh, I think it's a misunderstood round still, um, and the availability of it's getting a little better. I even saw some boxes in Walmart the other day, um, so that's pretty promising. Um, yeah, our Walmart here carries 300 blackout, which yeah. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you guys get Do you guys get requests for it in the store, Graham? Do you guys? Uh, we have customers that'll just order it. We don't stock it right now. We're just a kitchen table FFL, really, until we're breaking ground in August to for the store and the and the range. Um, so there's a couple of our customers that w- that want it, and they'll just order it custom and, or order it, uh, and we'll get it in in a week or so. Not a whole lot. They're not shooting it a lot because it's a lot more expensive too. Um, uh, well, a lot of them because they haven't usually have an AK as well because they like the 30 caliber. Um, but the AK ammo is a lot cheaper. So if you want to go out and shoot something for fun, they're they're shooting that or the 5.56. So you know, I think when it comes to the the 300 blackout, I you know, unlike all of you guys, I've I've drunk the Kool Aid, but um. You know, I, I think that the the whole point, Tim, that you made about the ballistics and the sub, or the the subsonic uh, chamberings, you know, 220 grain bullets are only 10 grains off of a standard 45 
you know, at 230. So it is, it is virtually identical in terms of those characteristics. You know, different profile in the bullet, so you have some different concerns, but I don't think any of those is significant in terms of what we're talking about in that spectrum. Uh, you know, for hunting, uh, you know, I completely agree with you on that. You know, and the great thing about the 30 caliber bullet is just the enormous variety of flavors of 30 cal bullets that you can get. You know, there is no end to how creative you can get with uh, a load if you're willing to put the time into getting it dialed into what it is you're looking for. You know, the only shortcoming of the the, the caliber. Uh, of, of the projectile uh, in this chambering is that you know the cut down two two three shell just doesn't have enough case capacity for bigger punch considerations. You're just you're never going to be able to get it into the you know three oh eight you know thirty out six uh, two forty three uh, realm of consideration. And you don't have to, but you know I think that. For, for one to say all around, uh, hunting, you know, you have to think about the, the 308 or the 30 out 6 in terms of its all around hunting potential. The, the 300 blackout is short of that full breadth of potential, but it more than meets the average hunter's needs. Because not every hunter gets an elk tag. Not every hunter is going to go out and drop a moose. Not every hunter is going to try to stalk a caribou, you know, and have to take a mile-long shot. No. These aren't the things the average hunter does. And that guy, he can afford an elk hunt or a moose hunt like that. He can afford a new rifle that's going to reach out and touch something. So, you know, Tim, you're right. I think that in terms of what the average hunter is going to do, this rifle within 200 yards is going to accomplish virtually every single need. So I, I couldn't uh, couldn't disagree with you at all. Yeah, it kind of creates a need to build another AR. So I think it's time for another <laughs> 300 blackout. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right, uh, we're going to move on to our sixth and final topic um, here for the night. Um, number six is, uh, is the AR a good platform for beginners? Um, Tim, we're going to go ahead and start off with you. All right. Um, I, I do believe it is. Um, I, I, it's all, I guess it's on the scale of beginner you're talking about because there are a lot of, uh, if you've got a, a true new shooter out there, um, a lot of times the concussion is a problem. And you're not going to get away from that with the 223. But if you've got someone who is a who is a uh, a plinker with 22 and is ready to move up, or is uh, you know is kind of used to the concussion, they get at the range, and uh, you know wants to try a center fire rifle, I don't think you get any better than the 223. The the, the recoil is almost negligible, like has been brought up before. I mean, for us anyway. Uh, newbie might a real new guy might might feel it at first, but after a while you just don't feel it. Um, it controls flinching a lot better. Um, it's uh, very easy to fix, uh, assuming you have some parts around. But, I mean, as far as um, un- unjamming it, you can pull the whole thing apart if you need to. Um, you can mortar the thing if you have to. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty durable weapon. Um, but uh, as far as a new shooter, um, you know, the, 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 the variety of, of sighting systems that you have, and, and uh, you can tailor it for the new shooter. 
you know, to make sure that they they make it they make it uh, make it more make it the most comfortable for them uh, to shoot. So I, I do believe that when you make a step from a rim fire to a, to a center fire, I, I don't really see uh, a, a better option uh, to do that. So I'm I'm on board with that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna piggyback on what Tim said. Uh, you know, you get the ARs; they have, <clears throat> excuse me, great potential for new beginners just because they are so adjustable. Uh, you adjust the stock length. You know, you can put a different pistol grip on it if you're tailoring it for a certain person. You know, you can put. A red dot, which is, of course, easier for people to use than those old-fashioned iron sights. And, you know, stuff like that makes it just great. Uh, the other thing you can do is if you want to get them used to the pattern first before you go step up to 223, you can put a 22 conversion kit in it or you can buy one of the dedicated 22s or 22 uppers. You know, get them shooting a rimfire which there's no recoil when you're shooting those with rim fires, then move them up to the 223. If you have a suppressor, put it on the end because then it's going to be about the same noise as a 22. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, my son hit the first centerfire rifle he shot was my SBR with the suppressor on it. And to this day, he still, that's, it's not the lightest gun. But it's his favorite to shoot, you know. So, you know, there's that plus too. You know, you can you can make one that's super light. So if you have somebody that has trouble with the weight, I mean, you can get a five and a half pound AR now if you want or build one. So there's always that too. You're not dealing with a lot of weight if you got a small statue person, stuff like that. Graham? Yeah, I think uh, being that. My boss is a girl. She attracts a lot of women shooters, and it's amazing how many women. I won't shoot my husband's rifles. I don't like shooting the 22s because they've got to do a bolt action or a lever action, and a lot of guys have 10-22s, but uh, it's still not the same. But the 10-22 mags, they don't like to load them. They're paying the neck to load. Um, AR mags load easy. The women all say that, oh, they load so easy. It's it's really user friendly. I can adjust it to me, like 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 uh, everybody mentioned. You know all the adjustability, the the weight savings, and then it, it most people run those thirty round magazines. And I every time I put a AR in a girl's hands, I think they just keep pulling the trigger, and their smile gets bigger and bigger until until it holds open. Um, but I've had I, even my son, my four year old, I put him behind my old AR. I don't put him behind my new one because it's got a muzzle brake on it, and I worry about his hearing protection because um, it's super duper loud. But uh, yeah, I think I've only met one person that didn't like shooting the AR uh, at the beginning, and they'd shot a few. My mom actually, she shot a few rifles, and she shot it two, three rounds, and handed it to me with a disgusted look on her face. But um, other than that, I think the pistol grip feels really good for a lot of people. It allows them to kind of hold it a little bit better if you're not shooting off the bench. And I think it's a, I think it's a perfect platform, personally. My uh, my son, he started shooting when he was eight, and uh, my first uh, AR was uh, a Daniel Defense, and um, we had to wait for them to make it and get it shipped all out and everything. And so we took it out, and I got to shoot it first. And uh, my son wanted to shoot it, and we had a um, 
just a little cricket 22. And so, you know, I was explaining to him, it's going to hit harder. It's, it's going to be louder, you know, be prepared. And, uh, man, he pulled the trigger and now I got to pry the rifle out of his hands. You know, when we go <laughs> shooting, um, he, he loves it. My, you know, my wife is a smaller, she's about five feet tall. She's not actually a big fan of, um, the AR for her. She's, she just, too loud it kicks too hard yet she likes the tavor i have so um she's like can you build one of those and i was like eh, not really um but for my my sons and uh, my friend's sons they they loved it right out of the box they they thought it was great and so it worked for me and it works for my kids when they shoot and plus it's it's identifiable i think for um, new shooters, they they know what it looks like. If you look at media and Hollywood and everything like that, you generally know what an AR-15 is, even if you don't know the name or if you know it by its scary assault rifle name. Uh, you know what it is as soon as you're handed it. And when you have somebody you trust there to work it out, I think that's a big part of it. Um, it can make the experience of shooting it great for beginners. You know, I think the thing that occurs to me and everything that everyone has said here is that um, it boils down to one thing, and that, that is the platform is forgiving. Uh, it doesn't require the learning curve. It doesn't require the experience. It doesn't require the fortitude or the strength or any of the other things that might come into play in shooting any other platform. It's just a very forgiving platform. You know, uh, I, I had the opportunity to get out with my uh, M1 Grand, you know, that's a beast, you know, dropping an eight-round clip out of a grand is a beating when you get on it. And, you know, it's a sighting system. It's, a, you know, it's a heavy rifle. There's just so much about that about it that is unforgiving. And, you know, unless you have a good, solid foundation and, Firearms and marksmanship, it's not going to be, I think, one of the rifles that will draw you to it. The AR, like every one of you have pointed out, like in my experience, I put my daughter on it. She loves the thing with the can on the end. She just thinks it's the bee's knees. It's just that forgiving. And I think that's the critical part because unless someone is willing to get their hands on it and, you know, Graham, like you said, you know, uh, blow through a 30-round magazine with a bigger and bigger smile at each trigger pull, you know, they're not going to come back and do it again. You know, the uh, I know that, you know, my first experience with a rifle was a, a 300 Weatherby Magnum. I was eight years old. You know, I was one of those kids that didn't mind getting kicked around. I loved the thing. And that started my love affair, but, you know, that's not everybody. You know, I know my daughter, if I had put her on a 300 Weatherby Magnum, she would not look at me for the next year. She'd never touch a rifle again. It's, it's just a very forgiving platform, and I think that is its true attraction for any beginning shooter. Dun, no, dun, JJ, dun. You, you, you have to moderate. You have to like speak up when when there's a pause. <laughs> I, I was letting the I was letting the dramatic effect take place there. As uh, I was just reading through the feedback that we've got. So um, I think this is actually going to go into kind of a bonus question. Um, we'll move to the feedback part of the uh, show. Um, Austin L. writes in, and um, bear with me as I read the uh, novel here. Hey, guys, I was glad to hear 
Uh, you get into the pistol AR topic for the first time since I began listening a long time ago. As of late, I have uh, been at the end of a long and atrocious research phase and now am into the building of my first AR pistol. I, like you, had a number of reasons why I didn't like, uh, didn't like or make much sense and decided it wasn't for me. However, I am not discriminant in my love of boomsticks, and I took up an offer to shoot my boss's 7.5-inch pistol AR. Earlier this year, he had heard me explaining the huge benefits of the 7.62 by 39 rifle and how the ballistics were much better than a 223 for hunting and far exceeded the 223 when shortening the barrel. Uh, having heard my rant, he took my views to the Internet and ordered the parts to build it. After shooting it, I can say that holding the buffer on my cheek was far less uncomfortable than I had predicted. And through had a few, few quick follow-ups, target transition I found to be a blast to shoot. His Vortex Spark had no trouble hitting 12-inch steel plates at 100 yards, and hitting it again before it stopped swinging was no challenge. The only downside was the concussion from the short barrel, which I am fixing with the 10.5-inch barrel and a 30-cal can suppressor on mine. In the end, my decision is that I wanted to keep the gun in my truck as a fallback coyote in the can, as Kansas only allows uh, loaded concealed pistols, not rifles in vehicles. So doing my best to stay in the realms of legality, I opted for an AR pistol, especially after shooting one broke all my logic for not owning one. So here's the bonus question. So here's my question. You have both shot a pistol, have you both shot a pistol AR? Uh, if so, what was the experience, the reason you hate my newest addition to the AR family? And what are your thoughts on a trunk gun, a truck gun that would be better than an AR pistol? Love the show. Keep up the work. So, by a show of hands, or actually I guess we can't do hands since we're a broadcast. We should know better than that. Um, about all in favor say A. <laughs> who's, who's shot an AR pistol here? I have I, I've had a couple rounds. That's it. Yeah, I haven't shot it at all. I've probably shot a magazine. That's about it. Graham? I've shot a few, yeah. Uh, they're cool, and for a while they were really hot. We'd go to the local gun shows and couldn't build enough of them before we went, and then it's kind of fizzled out a little bit. My, I'm getting ready to shoot a 300 Blackout next couple of weeks. Pistol, my buddy just picked up. I'll let you know I haven't shot the 300 Blackout yet, but although I mean they're they're a lot of fun. They they transfer fast. I had a tendency to always want to pull that buffer tube into my shoulder because it's an AR. I want to shoot it like an AR. But uh, once you can get past that, and I think definitely a red dot sight on them is beneficial. If I, well, open sights drove me nuts for some reason, but uh, with that combination, I would recommend it highly, especially in that situation where you need a truck gun. And you can't have a rifle in your truck in your state. Yeah, like, you, you know, for that situation, it's it's a good deal because I think, if I remember right, in our state, you can't have a concealed loaded gun without rifle without at all, basically. Uh, so if it's not concealed or it has to be locked in a trunk or something, I don't know. But, you know, with a carry permit here in Oregon, it, it's not like some states where you have to specify what you're carrying. You could carry 50 pistols, and so in that case, you have an AR pistol. It's a pistol. So you can conceal it anywhere you want. So it's a great 
truck gun in that case or car gun or whatever you want because it's easy to keep locked up, you know, if you want to do that. You know, keep it locked in a safe. You don't need a huge safe to keep a rifle in. You know, just some small one in your trunk is a lot easier to carry. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't fired a pistol uh, AR, so I re- really can't have any uh, experiential uh, input on this. But, uh, you know, with regard to the question about uh, what would be better than a pistol AR, I'm going to definitely go with a uh, uh, SIG uh, P226 uh, Dark Elite, or Elite Dark. In 357 SIG, that would be better than an AR pistol. <laughs> <laughs> so, We've heard it before, I'm sure. I've heard it more than you guys have heard it. Probably. Um, What's the uh, the second part of his question there? Um, If an AR pistol is not your truck gun, uh, what do you think would be better? Just one off the top of your head. Tim, why don't you start us off? (laughs) Sorry about that. I had to get my mute to come up. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, obviously you guys weren't listening to me the last uh, topic. Because I would probably, <laughs> because I would, I would definitely. I mean, in Texas, I mean, we can put them in the trunk. Um, I, I don't. I'm not sure. Reed would probably know if they can be loaded or not. I've never really done it, but uh, I know we can throw one in there. And if I've got a mag sitting there, it's not going to take me a second to put that sucker in there and rack it. So um, I would probably just carry the the the, the suppressed 300 blackout, or even unsuppressed, but probably suppressed because I won't have my ear pro. You know, I, I don't think we have that restriction. I think I, and you know what? I haven't looked at it. No, I haven't either. I think there is nothing, and as far as I know, that says that I can't have a fully loaded, you know, round in the chamber, you yep. know, AR 15 sitting in the back seat as long as I am, you know, in my car. It's an extension of my home. And uh, if I have a concealed, uh, uh, if I'm a concealed uh, handgun license holder, then yeah. you know, even if it wasn't my home, I could still do it. So I don't think there's anything that says we can't. Which, All right. I know it's a cavalier approach to basically say, "Ha, oh, look yeah. at us!" But you know, <laughs> yeah, I've never had to wrestle with the alternative, which is a Sig P226 Elite Dark and .357 Sig. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and go. Go for something that's you know not AR-15 related. Why not put a crank pistol in your trunk? Oh. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that I I was talking wow. to uh, a guy the other day that had a underfolder AK in a in a I think it was a trombone case in the back seat of his pickup, and it was awesome. And of course, it's not a pistol, but it was. He's you want to see this? He had six fully loaded magazines sitting in there, and I thought. You gotta be kidding me! This is the most. It had a rattle can paint job on it. It was amazing. I wanted one bad. <laughs> and I think he bought it for two hundred and fifty dollars. So wow. yeah, we immediately became best friends and then enemies right away. Um, as far as pistols go, in my car, I, I typically carry concealed carry a Glock thirty four. Um, but if I'm going to the range or uh, I know I'm going to be in the car most of the day, I'll throw in um, my Glock 34 because 9mm, love the 9mm for a self-defense round. Uh, it's cheap ammunition to shoot. You know, you can sh- afford to shoot a lot of it and high-capacity magazines, and you can get 30-round sticks or 50-round drums for those for those pistols. And it's got the long slide, so you got the bigger sight radius, nice big grip, um, 
easy to manage, and uh, not so much with 50 rounds on hanging off the bottom of it. But uh, it, it, it's, it, I would say it's either for me, it's either that or like a Colt Python or a or a GP100, you know, a big wheel gun kind of have that shock appeal. I think that scares people away more than anything. I, um, I'm i out of the eight, uh, AR world, too, when it comes to truck guns. Um, I do a Winchester 94-30-30. That, uh, You're the man, Jeep, dude. That's an Jeep. awesome rifle. That is awesome. And, I mean, it's in the, in the truck and locked under the seat, and then the, the rifle's hidden behind the seat in the back. Well, anybody in Vegas now knows the rifle's behind the seat <laughs> in the back. But uh, it's secured and... The truck's usually secured, but that's my that's my travel. That's my truck gun. If I gotta get home or get somewhere, I'm pretty sure I could stop a bear and anything else that comes in my path. And uh, just because we got into a little legal stuff there with the Texas stuff, um, we here at the AR15 podcast are not attorneys. Well, Reed is. Um, so our opinions, you need to make sure you check with your local laws and everything and make sure, because Reed's not going to show up in court and defend you. Right, Reed? Because I don't do that kind of work. (laughs) And I, and I already disclaimed, I I don't know for certain the answer to that question, but it's, it's never been highlighted by anybody in the Texas gun community. Uh, Tim, is that your recollection? You've never had anybody even point that out? No, no. I think if you go in there, it says something about, separate compartment maybe but other than that you know i could just throw that thing in the trunk loaded and i don't have any problem i'm not worried about it most most sheriff's departments wouldn't care uh well unless you go to austin or one of the big cities uh, <laughs> then you got a problem but i don't think i'll be taking that there for one thing so all right uh, next bit of feedback is from tom g um Tom is our resident communications expert here at the AR-15 podcast, and by that I mean he messages us about a hundred times a day. <laughs> and uh, he also has that cool. Have you guys seen the Ghost Rider gun we post up there? That that's his gun. He got worked on it. Uh, it's amazing. Um, they did a lot of work on that. But he says, uh, "Gentlemen, uh, WTF? What were you thinking? Uh, have you joined the anti-gunners? Just kidding." Um, I have only considered AR pistols as a stopover while you wait for a tax stamp. Uh, I also use an AR pistol as a truck gun since you can cross state lines without notification. Uh, of course, the destination and route traveling to the state also determines whether I can bring it there too. Uh, Tom, thanks for your uh, feedback. If you'd like to send more feedback, you do so by uh, going to ar15.podcast at gmail.com, sending us an email there. That's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. We've got some other feedback that's come in uh, that we'll uh, apply to the next show. Um, so, Reed, that uh, wraps about up. It wraps about wraps it up. Does anybody else have any final thoughts or things they'd like to share? Well, I think we have to point at him. Tim, uh, tell us any final thoughts. <laughs> no, not really. I'm I'm good. I, I think we I think it's been a really good discussion. I've enjoyed it, and I uh, hope you do it again sometime. Well, I think we will. Uh, Graham, you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we covered it pretty good. Appreciate the coming on. It was a lot of fun. It was it was a joy to have you. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Katie, I'm, I'm not going to give you a chance for final thoughts because you always have the last word. Chad, uh, any final thoughts? You know, I'll stick with everybody else. A lot of fun. You know, I think we covered all the topics pretty good. Uh, and, you know, I better throw a shout-out to go 
download the Gun and Gear Review podcast because otherwise Brian over there might, you know, kick me off of it or something. <laughs> all right, JD, I think that's all we got. Well, thanks guys for joining us for our first uh, listener roundtable, and uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty impressed. I think we could do uh, another one of these in the near future, and um, you know, considering that Chad eats paint chips. I think it uh, all came out came out right tonight, Chad. So thank you for that. And Graham and Tim, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send them to ar15.podcast at gmail.com. That's ar15.podcast at gmail.com. I want to thank Otis Technology for renewing their partnership with the AR15 podcast. We look forward to exciting things in the coming year with Otis Technology. Also, you can sign up for the New Frontier 9mm carbine giveaway. You can check the show notes of any recent show or go to firearmsradio.tv and go to the AR15 podcast part of the page and sign up there or visit us on Facebook facebook.com slash AR15 podcast you can also check us out over at Instagram at AR15 podcast make sure you also use the Brownells affiliate links for all your AR15 parts needs you can find that at firearmsradio.tv and with that that puts a wrap on episode 167 Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. And listeners, you guys have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, since you're already listening to a show on the Firearms Radio Network, then you should check out the God and Guns podcast. Troy and Doug talk about guns from a Christian perspective and, of course, God. GodandGunsPodcast.com slash iTunes. Subscribe now. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at FirearmsRadio.tv. 